Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. G'day, everyone, and welcome to the Think Orange podcast. My name is Dave, and as always, our goal here is to encourage, inspire, and resource you by giving you access to the speakers, thought leaders, and experts who are rethinking and reimagining the way ministry can be done. On today's podcast, we're going to discuss all things small groups and the best practices for students and kids' small groups at any size church. Now, joining me to unpack this topic is my old podcast host, Ashley Bohans, who is the Director of Middle School Strategy at Orange, and Keturah Boston, who is the Director of Children's Ministry at the Potter's House, North Dallas. A lot of you already know that Ashley is really passionate about student ministry. She's an author and speaks regularly to ministry leaders, volunteer and student audiences. And she's the co-founder of Carry 117, which focuses on orphan prevention and family preservation through women empowerment. Keturah has worked as a teacher, administrator, and educational consultant. She's received her master's degree in school leadership from Trinity University and holds a certificate in executive leadership from Rice University. She's also the mom of four children. I got to interview them recently, and I was blown away by the practical advice and wisdom they provided for church leaders, and I have no doubt you'll be inspired by this conversation. So let's jump straight in. Well, Ashley and Katura, thank you so much for joining us on the Think Orange podcast. I'm so glad that I get to speak with you today. Hey, for a lot of our audience, Ash, they already know who you are because your reputation proceeds. But can you catch everybody up on, on sort of what you're doing now? And for those people who don't know you, let them in a little bit onto your life and, and what your experience is. Hi, friends. Um, if you've been part of the Think Orange podcast for some time, I was part of it early on, co-hosting with the infamous Dave Adamson. But now, well, I'm actually still doing the same things that I was doing back then. Um, I'm just not on the pod as much. So I'm still the director of middle school strategy at Orange, a volunteer small group leader, um, executive director of a nonprofit in Ethiopia called Carry 117. And I virtually lead a team of volunteers that are spread across the country, which is a challenge in and of itself. But prior to doing these things, I served at two different churches, one in Atlanta, Georgia, and one in Baltimore, Maryland. Say it that way because it sounds more fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I specifically have worked with middle school at both churches. The first church I actually started as a volunteer. I was the middle school teacher in the community. And then I transitioned to like, a vo that was my vocation, became the middle school pastor. Uh, we had two services, one Saturday, one Sunday, about 58 volunteers um, and maybe about 200 students. We just had seventh and eighth grade in that ministry. Um, and the second church that I served at was a multi-campus church, six churches in the Atlanta area. Um, I worked on the multi-campus church, which meant I resourced our local campuses um, for their large group, their small group, and their events. Uh, and those six campuses ranged from 25 middle schoolers, it was six on the eighth grade, to 1,500 middle schoolers on a weekend. So that's my context. Wow, you've got a lot going on there. And as much as I want to dive into the whole Maryland thing, as opposed to Maryland, 
I want to make sure that I, I give Katura some time to introduce herself as well. Uh, Katura, uh, it's so great to meet you. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what your context in ministry is? Yes, absolutely, Dave, and thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here with both of you. You all are so much fun. Um, Currently, I am the Director of Children's Ministry at the Potter's House North, and I really have an amazing, amazing pastor. I'm going to say her name, Cheryl Brady, because um, what I get to do matters a whole lot, and she makes what I do a lot more easier because she gives me the power of permission. So that'll make a lot more sense as we um, conversate. Um, But previously, I was um, a middle school principal. I have designed two schools in the city of San Antonio. They're both still in existence. One was to recover students who had um, dropped out or were just not able to complete school for various reasons. I worked with a team who helped design a program that would get them back in and get them accelerated um, in their graduation so that they could meet their career and job readiness goals um, to kind of get their lives going and just really get them back in the fold designed a school from K through 12th grade. The last time I was there, though, we had only gotten to the 10th grade. So some of the people who came and took the reins after that got to build out those other grade levels up to senior grade. Um, Before now, my husband and I, we've always been in ministry together. I've been in ministry for over 19 years and with kids. And somehow, believe it or not, right, I always thought that I ended up in front of kids because I was one of the younger people in the church, never saw that there was an actual calling for me to be involved in children in the way of ministry. But everything I've ever done in public education, whether it was leading teams of teachers or servant leaders, has always led me back to prioritizing relationships, building culture and assessing and really setting temperatures for good climates in those environments. So um, I'm so happy once again to be here and talk with you all. Um, Yeah, let's get this thing going. We're going to have some fun. (laughs) We are definitely going to have some fun. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, Thank you so much again for for joining it. I I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy days because clearly you're both extremely busy. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to have a conversation with us. And specifically, what we want to talk about today is small groups. We want to get into some of the weeds, I guess, of, of what the importance of small groups is and, and speaking directly from your own experience. So when it comes to you guys and, and specifically your ministry experience, I'm going to go to Katira first on this one, Ash, if that's okay. Um, when did you decide or why did you decide that your ministry needed a small group model? What is the importance of that for you guys? Yeah, so one of the great things um, in, in my current ministry is that there was already a framework and a groundwork set for small group ministry. But prior to my coming, we didn't have a small group model, but we, my husband and I, we both understood that from just our understanding of building relationships, setting culture and um, setting the appropriate climates for how we learn and how we engage and how we connect, we knew that was done in small groups and not in roles and not in big, large groups where, you know, there were all kinds of uh, Um, tensions to be met with, whether it was teaching SGLs how to do it and feel comfortable or even getting kids to acclimate to sharing and building and connecting at that level, because it's not always a skill that's taught. They're always in groups and classrooms and schools, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're armed with the ability to um, share and to listen well. And so um, that was really the basis for it. So it was, it's definitely a necessity in our ministry. And it's the one thing that we absolutely hang our hat on and our pastor 100% supports it across our family ministry. Yeah. Ash, I know you agree, but can you just build onto that? Why is small groups so important? Yeah. So one church I served at, they already had a small group model in place, but the other church, the first church I served at, 
they had groups, but it wasn't a small group model. It was more of an event-driven ministry. So I really had the honor of, of walking with the ministry through a transition from an event-driven ministry to a small group-driven ministry. And part of my motivation in doing that was I wanted to be more strategic as a youth leader. I didn't want, I felt like everything just felt so random. And I'm like, where are we going? Like, I want to know the end goal and I want to figure out how to strategically get there. And ministry is hard work. Like I want it to matter and I wanted to make a difference. And so I was like, I love this strategy. I can't possibly go to the game or the play or know the parent of up 200 middle schoolers. Like I yeah. can't do it alone. And so I needed to multiply myself and I loved kind of transitioning from the events were the main thing yeah. and small groups just kind of pointed to the event and switched it around and made the events point to the small groups. Mm. And I feel like kids stuck around more leaders stuck around more. It was, it was not easy. And I made a lot of missteps in the process and learned a lot, but I, ministry is way too hard to not do it strategically. That's what motivated me. Amen. That's so, that's so good. Um, for, for people who are listening to this, who have just been inspired by what you both have just said about the importance of small groups, say they're listening and they want to now in their ministry uh, context, uh, elevate the role of small groups or this, you know, build that strategy. What would you say is, is one obstacle or one challenge that they might face that you all can help them get over? I mean, if I were to jump in and say anything, I would say really how you communicate the importance of it to your small group leaders and partnering with your parents to understand what that looks like and what that really means. I think for us, um, it was very similar to what Ashley said. There was the idea of small group, but the the strategy behind breaking down those small groups, meaning for us, it was like great levels to even smaller groups that allowed you to make um, relationships matter even more by being personal. Um, I think that was the thing, really explaining to them what that looked like. And for us, we did a full out training and gave examples of this is what this looks like. We're not teaching the Bible lesson within this small group right off top. We're getting to know you. So we built a strategy around even questions that allows the small group leader as a facilitator to ask a question that they answer first and they get to the students get to know them. The the students get to know each other and they get to learn something about the students. So the end game for that portion was relationship building. So you imagine we have 54 or so Sundays in a year, right? And for our church, we were doing two services per Sunday and not to mention the extras, but when you, when you tally that up, you get over 100 opportunities, say they're coming up, you know, every single service or a lot of them who stayed twice because their parents were servant leaders as well. You get multiple opportunities to build on those relationships. Then when you're ha- when you have relationships in the center of everything else that you're doing, well, then teaching a Bible lesson about love and who God is and who, you know, who, it, who he should be yeah. in their lives, who he can be, that takes on a whole new, you know, um, vehicle there because now your driving force is the relationship. And now I can speak into the life of not only a child, but their family and their parents based on the relationship that was organically built and not just scripted. Yeah. What about you, Ash? What is the most uh, challenging part of elevating the idea of small groups in, in a church? I mean, change of any kind of strategy is not easy. And it's, it takes a lot of conversation and a lot of time. So I think starting with, you know, a core group of people and 
getting really good at casting vision, getting them on board. And then they help get the next circle of people on board and then the next circle of people on board. Um, And I think one of the biggest challenges is getting people to think outside of weekend programming, like think relationship, not program. Think who am I showing up for versus what am I showing up to? Mm. And so I think then that plays into consistency, consistency of volunteers and consistency of students when they show up. Because if you start to think, who am I showing up for? Then you start to want to show up at the same time versus when this weekend, can I attend a service and show up to serve? And it changes all the time. I think that was one of the hardest things too, is the students need to, and parents need to catch that vision because yeah. I, know, I know for me, my, I just moved my eighth graders up from eighth grade to ninth grade. And the last few months of their eighth grade year, they weren't showing up to the church building. And so it was, it was definitely hard as a volunteer to keep showing up like when they weren't showing up, but that is, it's, it's really difficult, but it's like, I wanted to be there in case they did show up. So getting people to understand the importance of that consistency was a challenge. Wow. What I loved about both of your answers is they're both practical. So you can take it a little bit of, and I hope it was practical for our audience as well, that they can take something from that and apply it straight away. So thanks for being so practical, but also casting that larger vision about the impact that it can possibly have. Uh, Katura, for you, what, when it comes to uh, preschool small groups, what, what makes a really good preschool small group leader? Okay. So the best preschool small group leaders that I've seen are the ones that understand the importance of one connecting with those parents. It is so interesting to see our preschoolers like separating from nursery or coming in from for the first time who haven't even started school yet. So that level of separation, if they're not in daycare is it's one to be reckoned with. Right. And so building a relationship with their parents, because once their parents, um, and this is just what I've seen. When the, when the small group leaders connect with the parents and give the parents a sense of ease, it helps the parents give this the child a sense of ease because really the, the parents are the child's window to the world. And so if mom or dad or aunt or grandmother say that this person is safe and they feel comfortable, then I'm more likely as a preschooler to feel a yeah. lot more comfortable. So that's number one. I think yeah. that relationship with them. So your first audience is not necessarily the preschooler, but mm-hmm. also our preschool small group leaders who acknowledge that the child is present. So we always tell our small group leaders, even when you're addressing the adults, make eye contact, look down, bend your body a little bit to make sure that you are engaging that little person in the conversation and in that moment, in that space so that they feel seen, even if they're not being heard, because usually they're not speaking right away, right? And then I would say the third thing is that their, their content is built around understanding developmentally where preschoolers are, but also understanding not to box them in, but to leave room for the individualities of all of those preschoolers, because we don't know everyone's background and we don't know all of their tendencies yet. So when they do things that build relationships, like even asking questions, we ask preschool SGLs to circle with their kids and ask questions like, for example, okay, just check this out. Asking a question to four-year-olds like this, if you had a bouquet of flowers, who would you want to give them to? 
And then you say who you would give them to. And then you listen to all of them. Well, you've just gotten some valuable intel. Now you know who they value. You know something about who they care about. That person probably cares for them. And this is someone who they thought of first, who they want to share something with. Now, you could ask this question a million ways. You could ask the very next week and say, if you had two brand new cars, because you got to include them, right? If you had two brand new cars and you were driving one and you had one you could give away, who in your life deserves a brand new car or truck? And then you listen to that person, but you also are sharing. So once again, you're building organic relationships, even with your little people. And it's teaching them a few things. One, that they're valued to feel seen and heard. They have the right to pass and not answer. And that's okay, too, because that's honoring and respecting their voice. But also you're really building Um, I'm going to say organic a lot today, but organic relationships and genuine relationships are built behind real conversations that matter. And so our best preschool SGLs do this with some of these strategies. And then, of course, the snacks. You got to have great (laughs) snacks. And if there's not a great craft, right, that they can complete in the time allotted, and it's something that the parents can actually stick on a car window like a cling, or you can stick a magnet behind so they can stick it on the fridge. I would say stay clear of those stuff yes. that they know they yes. can take home and they can value. Cause we know sometimes papers, they end up on the backseat floor and things like that. But those are just some of the strategies we've used to really pack a punch when it comes to our preschool SGLs and their area of ministry. Yeah. Is Short that question, long answer. No, that was a great answer. Like there was again, very, very practical. I was going to ask, does that, uh, some of that stuff carry over into the next year level? Like we just talked about preschool, does that carry over to elementary or, you know, in some parts of the world, we call it primary levels of school? Does, does the same stuff carry over or is there something else you would add? Yes. No, it definitely carries over. I would say you find that more of the elementary students have more events outside of church. And so that's another great place. I think Ashley mentioned that earlier, you know, being present outside of the four walls of the church. And and even if you're not able to be at those games, knowing which students are involved in extracurriculars, right? Whether it's a sport or recital, they sing, they play an instrument, they're on debate team, they're going to give a speech, they're accepting an award. Just knowing those things about them are important. And you can do that very simply by asking strategic questions that are going to get you to where you want to be. Like who has something exciting that's coming up at the end of the month that they wouldn't normally share, but they're going to share today just because Ms. Katura asked. Yeah, that's a great way to gain some intel. They're not just telling you now they're telling the group and now we all have an opportunity to celebrate. So you have that. And then when it comes to in-house activities, we try not to build around just events, but we try to make every Sunday that they're with us like an event because some kids don't do a lot outside of school. They're not able to. So it does carry over in that way where we can give them opportunities for leadership and doing all kinds of cool stuff, helping be a deacon for a day, teaching a lesson, retelling a Bible student to a story or a group of kids. I mean, not to a story, to a group of kids who need it retold to them. All of those opportunities, you just have to think very intentionally about how you provide those and market them to those to that audience, because, I mean, they're basically the youngest congregation. So you build it, they will come. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Hey, I know that we have uh, people who listen to this podcast who are from all levels of ministry. So Ash, I want to I turn to you now and specifically ask you the same question, but for the older kids, maybe the kids that are heading into those teenage years. In some parts of the world, we call it middle school and high school. In other parts, it's just high school. So I want to ask you, and maybe it's different for the younger teenagers compared to the older teenagers, but can you tell us uh, the same sort of question? What makes a good small group leader for, for early 
early teens and for older teens? Ooh, okay. This is a really, really good question. And honestly, one I get asked a lot, Katura, I liked how you talked about the snacks. <laughs> you should ask somebody before you decide if they should serve in middle or high school or what age group. Like, what snacks do you prefer? Because they might be a little different in middle school and high school. And I appreciate that. But um, honestly, when I have a conversation with a potential volunteer, I really think first I'm looking for like three things before I can decide if I think they're going to be the best fit for middle school or best fit for high school. When I say middle school, I mean ages like 10 to 14, high school, 14 to 18, maybe 13 to 18, depending on when their birthday is. Um, But first off, I just listen to what they're passionate about. You can usually tell a lot about a person based on their passion. And one thing I've learned is just because they talk about high schoolers doesn't mean they would be best serving with high school. Typically, they just have the most experience with high schoolers mm. because not a lot of people choose middle school ministry is what I've learned. Um, <laughs> and most people will choose whatever they feel the most comfortable with rather than what feels a little bit like unexpected or unknown. Yeah. Um, so I try not to box them in right away. And as I'm listening to what they're passionate about, I try to determine, are they more of a launcher or are they more of an encourager? Because in my humble opinion, I think the best volunteers for our middle school, ages about 10 to 14, um, means they have energy and that they have a lot of energy. It doesn't mean they have to be an extrovert though. Like we, you can have, be an introvert and have energy to engage with middle schoolers. The best leaders for a middle schooler would be someone who is very encouraging. They're very comfortable in who they are. They're comfortable with their weird factor because middle schoolers need, they don't care how old you are. They don't care how weird you are. They care that you like who you are and you present that to them. Um, I pay attention to word choice. Like, does this person, are they able to break down concepts and their thoughts and their feelings in a way that middle schoolers can hear and understand? Do they laugh a lot in the conversation because middle schoolers need fun and they need laughter? Do they think middle schoolers are fun at all? Like they don't have to love them yet. They just have to like them. You know, they'll, they'll fall in love with them. I'm sure of it, that they're cool with the awkward conversations and the awkward interactions Um, that they navigate change well with students is another quality because really working with middle schoolers, you're walking them through the beginning of a longer faith conversation. So you're kind of talking to them about things they may not have experienced yet or been tempted by yet. So I kind of determine, is this person have some of those qualities? If so, I think they would be an amazing middle school small group leader. If I shift to high school, people that I think- So just to clarify, the the middle school we're talking about like 11 to 13-ish, right? That that sort of age group, just for our international audience. Yeah, about 10 to 14. It depends on birthdays. Yeah, okay. And so now we're talking about 13, 14 to 18-ish. We're talking about probably 14 to 18. Okay, great. So so hit us with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So the difference, I think, between middle school and high school is middle school, you're having conversations about things they may not have encountered fully yet, or they may not have been tempted by it, or they've never had that thought or question yet. With high school, you're helping students interpret and respond to their current situations instead of like envisioning future situations all the time. Mm. So I think the best high school leaders are great listeners, not great fixers, Um, that they have a lot of potential to see, see like potential in a student and help launch them and encourage them into the world and mobilize them to go and live out their purpose. I think a great high school leader is not afraid of the hard stuff. They're willing to be active in the 2 a.m. text thread when the high schoolers are active in a text thread. 
They're not judgmental. They can't be judgmental to work well with high schoolers. And honestly, I think some of the best high school leaders have been through some hard stuff in their life so they can be relatable. So typically in that conversation I have with a potential volunteer from middle school or high school, I kind of ask and try to feel out like which conversation do they feel more equipped to have, like a, a more proactive conversation or a more responsive conversation, a more affirming and encouraging conversation or more mobilizing and launching, uh, more of a cheerleader or more of a counselor, more of the how does this all work and or more of the why, like why does this matter at all? And that's kind of how I determine if they'd be better with middle school or high school. Wow. Like, okay. Y'all have just, um, as you guys are talking, both of you have just provided lists. And so I want to encourage everybody listening to the podcast or watching right now. I want to encourage you to go back, re-listen to Katura's and Ashley's answer and write a dot point list of all of the questions, all of the things that they just said. Because let's be honest, guys, in a, in a lot of churches, what happens is they choose a small group leader based on the fact that somebody's just showed up, right? The, there's a warm body over there. Let's get them to do it. How do you avoid that? How do you, like, Ash, you just went through a whole list of things. Is this something that you do over coffee? Is this like, what does that recruitment process look like for you both? Yeah, it can be in the church lobby. It can be in the church parking lot. It could be at coffee. It can be any of those. And sometimes it takes 10 conversations to get to a point where you feel like they'd be a great small group group leader. In my experience, it's almost better to not have a group leader than have the wrong small group leader because you almost turn the kids off from wanting to ever engage in your ministry. And so you have this shot to help put the right adult adults, I should say multiple adults in a kid's life. And you want to pick, and I know this is a tension because it's like, well, you need to have a certain amount of leaders in order to have the amount of students that you have. Like there's laws about this and safety things. And I get all of that. It's just, you want the right small group leaders. Um, And so I think finding a filter again, that that's just my opinion. It doesn't mean it's right. Yeah. Um, That's what I think. Katura, I saw you nodding along though. Is that, do you feel the same way? I absolutely do. I agree with 100% of what Ashley said. So I don't want to do the thing where I just repeat everything that she said. So if you're listening and that resonated in any way with you, write that stuff down because it's 100% true. And I would also just push a little bit further to those listening and say, um, it's also important that you understand as a leader and making these assignments that you're okay to reassign someone who's not a best fit leader for these positions and areas because another detriment to putting the wrong leader in the wrong place is keeping the wrong leader in the wrong place for too long. Right. And so that does take um, some courage. You have to have courageous conversations. And I do think that if you are also doing the work as a leader of building relationships, you should be able to have that conversation. And usually I try to have them up front and say, I will be here to encourage you, to hopefully inspire you. I am here to serve you, right? Monday through Friday when I'm in the building of my church, I'm, or even if I'm working from home, I am an employee. I work for the church. But when I say when you're serving, I'm here to serve you as you serve children and family. 
So I try to let them know up front, I will be here for all of those things. I will celebrate your birthday. I will acknowledge your wins and your losses and make sure that our entire department knows. But I'm also the very same person that will be here to sit you down and have those hard conversations with you because I'd rather have them with you knowing that I love you than for you to turn a corner and a kid is complaining about you on the car ride home or randomly on a Tuesday during lunch or dinner to a parent who now is confused or maybe concerned about what's actually taking place in those spaces. And so I think those are important things to just kind of keep in mind as well. And it doesn't mean always removing, but it does mean you have a conversation because some of those conversations can lead to very eye-opening um, epiphanic moments where you have a touching um, opportunity, a, a moment to touch a servant leader in a way they did not know they were missing it, yeah. right? And you build a mutual trust and respect because we've, we've had our wins together and we've had our correction together. And if they handle that well, that, that should let you know or be an indicator that they have the right heart to serve the families that you love and have vowed to protect. Because another thing, and this is my last point, and I'll turn it back over to you, Dave, um, is that we don't operate from a spirit of desperation when it comes to placing leaders in front of our kids. That is one thing I want to always be able to, whether I'm leading or serving, because I do both, right? Um, I want to be able to always guarantee that not only to my pastors and leaders who are counting on me to do that, but my as part of my responsibility to parents, I want them to know that I will never operate out of desperation when it comes to partnering servant leaders with their children. And so when servant leaders know that that's my stance, um, they tend to adopt that mentality as well when they're sharing what they do with others and are part of the recruitment and onboarding processes that we have. They have in their heart, you know, we're not desperate. So let's really make sure that we're queuing and teeing up this potential new servant leader to be their very best and scaffold them in areas where they just may need some support, but they have the heart to do this work. Oh, so good. Scaffold them. I really like that. That's such yeah, a visual cool. thing. As a visual learner, that says that that explained yeah. a lot to me. I know that sometimes the, you know, well, most of the time, the best way to recruit new leaders is to retain small group leaders, right? That's the best way to do it. So what tips do you both have? And I might start with you, Katura. What tips do you have to keep great volunteers year after year, month after month? How do, what's, what's the best tip you have for, for churches to do that? Oh, gosh. So I love this question. And Ashley, you chime in. Okay, feel free. Just throw that finger up if you need to jump in there. (laughs) But I go by this model, right? When you work somewhere, usually when people become disgruntled or dissatisfied with their work conditions, it's typically not the work itself or their ability to manage the work. It's usually the environment, it's the climate, it's the culture, it's the people. And so one of the best ways we I found that works um, better and no matter what setting you're in is to build good relationships. Things like I mentioned earlier, being a part of their lives, knowing who your servant leaders are and who they are outside of your ministry. What do they do for a living? What do they care about? What concerns them? What keeps them up at night? What helps them sleep at night? Their birthdays, anniversaries, what are their kids up to? What are they celebrating? What are big wins and big losses? Being a part of those kind of things um, is very helpful. And then for every celebration, I mean, Jesus was the best example. Let's break bread. Hmm. feeding them, feed the sheep so they don't eat the children. <laughs> feed your servant leaders and, and build helping to build bridges that connect your servant leaders to the parents because now we're talking something bigger. You're not just walking away from an area of ministry. Now we're thinking, ah, 
There are kids involved. There are parents that I've connected with. So this becomes so much bigger than whether or not someone printed out the right number of copies for me and I'm frustrated. Now it's so much bigger. Like I would literally have to leave my community and do I want to do that? So our goal is to create the type of community and the type of processes and protocols that make servant leaders feel safe enough to stay, safe enough to talk about when they feel like things are wrong and need to be adjusted because that's happened to me. And I've had to make adjustments and that is okay, Mm. right? But when it's safe to do that, you can do that and grow. So I'm going to stop there because I know Ashley has some great things Uh. to share, but time in, sis. I just love that we're still talking about snacks being an important thing (laughs) to retain leaders. It's it's the thread for every age group, including the leaders, is have good snacks. Feed the people. I like that. (laughs) I love that. Um, I I guess what I would also add is plan for them to have time off. Like these are humans. I love that you talked about like the importance of having a relationship with them. I think also like valuing the fact that they have a life outside of volunteering for you and giving them strategic time off that, you know, maybe a lot of people aren't going to show up. So maybe you change up your programming so that they can have time off. I think that is a huge way to retain leaders when they feel that it's like they know when they're going to have off. They know when they have breathing room and they know it's okay if they can't make it to let you know that they can't make it. Like you're not mad at them when you respond that way. Obviously I know that when somebody misses all the time, it's a different thing, but if it's like a mental health day or whatever it is, it's important to value them as people. And I think communicating dates and expectations up front is so huge. And I think this is an area that we can grow so much in as ministry leaders is being organized enough to know the dates, know the expectations so they can mark it off in their calendar. Cause there's nothing more frustrating as a volunteer than when you feel like you're letting the ministry down because you didn't know about the meeting that was happening, or you didn't know about the camp or the weekend retreat and you planned your family event then. So I think all of that communicate that up front. It eliminates a lot of frustration volunteers not experience, but I think there are four things that really help retain volunteers. And the first one is they want to follow a leader who actually cares about the ministry they're leading. I think a lot of times we as ministry leaders, we might have our eyes set on what's next. And people can tell when you're just renting a space until you're called to your next thing. You know, if you're just doing the status quo, you're just getting by, you're just making sure the program's running versus making it better. They want to follow a leader who cares about them, but also that cares about the ministry. And that, you know, energy and passion is is caught from people, not taught. And so I think that is a huge thing. The second thing I would say is, are they serving in the right place? Katura, you talked about before, like making sure that you shift somebody's responsibilities when you see that they're maybe not using, uh, they're not wired the, the way that they need to be to be in that specific role. And so I think there's a difference between a place and the right place. And I think that's our responsibility as ministry leaders to get to know our people and figure out where they would be best served. Because when we're serving in our sweet spot, that's where we want to stay. That's where we feel the most fulfillment. Like there's something about knowing God's using you for the way that you are in service to kids or teenagers that makes you want to keep doing it. If it's fulfilling. Um, The third thing would be like meaningful trainings, not meaningless trainings. So like don't waste people's time with meetings. I think a lot of times we we schedule, we're like, oh, we should have a training and we put it on the calendar. We have no idea. There's no strategy behind what we're going to train them on. So then what what do we do? We just go over logistics and we make them feel like it's a waste of their time. So instead of putting a meeting on the calendar and then think of something to train them on, I would 
lay out what do we need to train them on and have a plan and then put the meetings on the calendar so yeah. that that's what's driving those the, the trainings. You get big trainings, you can have small trainings. It can look different. And the fourth thing is authentic community. Katara, you talked about that a little bit, just like not surface relationships. Like it, it, there's a difference between like coming to do something versus coming to be part of something. Yeah. And I think that when we can create that kind of culture, which takes a lot of energy and a lot of time, I think that's when people want to stay. Wow. You all have just laid it out the whole plan. I think for every person who's listening for their church to set up the whole small group thing. So thank you for being, first of all, so insightful and so wise in your answers, but also so practical as well. Cause I think, you know, sometimes just the, giving that high end strategy is good, but, but giving that practicality really helps people take a next step for those churches who are potential or those people who are listening, who are potentially still on the fence, right? About the importance of small group. I don't think they, they exist, but just say they're still on the fence. What are the big wins that y'all have experienced or seen from ministries that implement a, a, a small, a, a really clear small group strategy? What's something that's been a great win for your ministry, Katera, maybe? Yeah, I think it was the first time we heard about one student asking their parent to take them to an event that someone else in their small group, another kid in their small group was a part of and saying, mom, can we show up for my church friend? They didn't go to the same school. They only saw each other on the weekends. But because of the conversation that was had in circle, one of those questions, what's something that you're excited about that's coming up? They made a point to connect later on and exchange information and actually persuaded a parent to go out on like a Tuesday or Wednesday night to participate in an event. And now those parents are very close friends. Oh, wow. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest when I share a story because to just say, the organic relationship was built, right? And to say that we built a community um, by evidence of just this one story, I think it's not enough to, to just show up, like Ashley mentioned, to just show up to do something, but to be someone to someone. And when you give kids an opportunity and you give parents an opportunity, when you create strategic things, even like those meetings and trainings that Ashley mentioned, when we've mentioned small group for parents, opportunities for parents to connect and talk to small group leaders, those are the kinds of things that have built our church community. Now, even I have parents who I don't, I can't even imagine how they could love me so much when we've been away for over a year and all we've been able to do is online and small group with their kids and have them texting me and messaging me on social media. When you come back, we want to help clean. We want to help paint. We'll come back and do whatever you need. This is the power of small group, not because of the name small group, but because of what it builds, because yeah. of what it fosters. And now I genuinely, where I felt like I was just serving parents, I feel like I have relationships. I actually, as a leader, my cup is being filled too, because I feel like I'm being filled up by that love and that genuine appreciation by the community that we built based on this strategy. So churches that we've seen do this, they're winning because they built a community. They built a campus-wide strategy that
that goes far beyond just a curriculum. When we're able to mention names of small group leaders and parents and kids that are winning to our pastor, can you imagine what that means to a small group leader to know that you mentioned their name to the pastor mm-hmm. or parents who are being highlighted because their kid's amazing and we're giving all of the credit to the parent because we're saying you're their first um, small group leader. You're their first teacher and educator and we're so grateful for you for sending us an amazing kid. It's those things. So if you're still on the fence, I hope you're not. But if you are, I'm going to safely assume I think that it's because you haven't had an encounter and experience with it. And I think it's safer to say that if you try some of these strategies one step at a time, small doses, start small, start meaningful, start intentional and allow it to grow authentically into what it could be. And don't expect perfection or mastery from the beginning. Just start. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. So good. Okay. So I was actually thinking along the same lines, like, I don't want to repeat you because you just like threw it down right now. So I love it. I'm going to jump on the parent train here because I think churches win when they implement a small group strategy because we help parents win. I think one of the things I've learned in my journey in ministry is that we as ministry leaders really aren't, we aren't the heroes, which means you need a lot of humility to navigate that journey (laughs) because we want to feel important and what we do is important. But I think the role of a parent and especially in youth ministry, I think it's underappreciated. The the parent is the number one source of information and spiritual influence on a kid's life. A lot of time at Orange, we talk about the the hours of influence we have on a kid or a student. We say a small group leader in a given year has a maximum of 40 hours to influence a kid. And that considers like, you know, sick days and, and vacations and, you know, the average attendance in church. And maybe they are at their mom's house one weekend, their dad's house another weekend, 40 hours max, right? A parent has over 3,000 hours to influence their kids. So if you want to be a more strategic ministry leader, whether that's in kids ministry or youth ministry, I think what I've learned is that partnering with parents is the most important thing. And a small group strategy allows you to do that. You you are able to empower the family to be the, the spiritual leaders. Not that they don't know how, but you come alongside and help bridge the gap that exists give them resources. You don't have to have all the answers. You can be like the master of resources and send all the resources you have. And I think I really struggle with that, especially in my twenties, because I felt like I'm too young to talk to parents. Like, what am I going to say? You know, or I don't have kids. How, How can I possibly partner with parents? And I think I really realized I didn't do a great job of that early in ministry. And I think I've realized with a small group model, the biggest win for the church is making the parent and the family the winner. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, so now everybody is ready to implement this strategy. I have no doubt about it whatsoever. So I want to finish with this, and I'm going to start with you, Katera, if that's okay. What one piece of advice would you give to uh, church leaders who are about to implement this strategy? What's the one thing that you would say, just as they're about to step into it, they're going to go to their pastors and their leadership team today to say, we need to up our game on the small group strategy for our kids and our students. What's the one piece of advice that you would give them? That is so great. Best question ever. And I think about it often because I've had to do it before and I did it wrong. Ha, that's going to be fun, right? I did it wrong. <laughs> I brought something to my pastor and not my current pastor, but a pastor. And I said everything wrong. 
we don't have this. We're not doing this and other churches are doing it. That was the wrong approach. If I could share anything now, I would say the appropriate approach is to approach your pastor and lead from the heart. Pastor, I know what you value. I know why you placed me in this position. And together we were chosen for such a time as this. And I'm really feeling that God wants to move in the area of relationships and small groups in our church. What do you think about this? And actually pause and give them an opportunity to respond to you and listen and hear their heart. And then once they do, then I think you continue and say, well, I've heard about some churches that are doing this. Here's some of the things that, they're sh- that they've shared. I've done this research. I have some people that I can connect with that will help mentor me and help get us through this first phase of what this could actually look like. But I want you to know that I'm 100% committed to making sure that as the senior leader of this church, that you know that not only the members of this congregation are safe, but your servant leaders are safe, your parents are safe, that your kids feel safe. And by the time they get ready to transition through any point of family ministry, they are going to be some of the best, most on fire for God members of this congregation this generation or church has ever seen. And it's going to be because we're leading with relationships. Do we have your blessing to get started? It won't be perfect, but do we have your blessing to get started? Yes, I'm ready to give you all the resources <laughs> you need right now to do what. So good. What a vision cast. <laughs> I know. I'm in. I'm 100% Everybody in. Everybody needs to go back and script that out. <laughs> <laughs> we should add that as a script in the show. I notes. know. <laughs> Ash, if we were leading a church right now, I would literally be giving her everything that she needed to implement that. Uh, how do you say no to that? Like, Katara, that was that was amazing. Um, Ash, what what can you add to that? What can you add to that script? Okay. Well, I don't have like this whole like vision cast like you just gave, but I would say read the book when relationships matter. Mm. Um, Lead Small is a fantastic resource for uh, a small group leader to know what their role is. I remember reading it first and then being like, okay, but how do I do this as a mission leader? Like, okay, if this is their job, then what's my job? Like, what do I need to think through so that they can actually do that? Yeah. And the book, When Relationships Matter, was pivotal for me in thinking through and assessing everything from our events to our programs to our structure like am I actually empowering the small group leader what are one percent changes I can make that would actually help the the small group leader and the small group move forward and strengthen so I would say that read that book this is my favorite thing to talk about right now especially because you know virtual ministry and all of the things but in a small group model keep the roster more important than the attendance. So as a small group leader and a ministry who values small groups, the kids who don't show up are just as important as the kids who show up. And that means the way you're training small group leaders. And this is hard because as ministry leaders, we are judged and we are evaluated by the number of kids who walk through the door. And that can be really hard because the better number is how many kids are engaged with their small group leader, regardless if they ever set foot in the building. And so I would say importance of roster, not attendance would be so huge for this model. I would think of creative roles, volunteer roles that are outside of your programming time. Is there anything that people can do to serve your ministry if it's behind the scenes or in front of the scenes to help empower small groups 
regardless of the programming time. And the last thing, and this is a hard one to swallow, you as the ministry leader may or may not be the best person to recruit and cast vision to small group leaders. I think there are people who are very, very gifted in doing it. And you might have a volunteer who is going to be your main recruiter. And that's hard sometimes to be like, it's not me. I really don't think it's me. I'll help behind the scenes. I'll empower them. I'll give them the vision. But if they can go recruit people, I'll make sure that we're ready for them. And so I think just having the humility to admit, like, I'm probably not, I probably am not wired to do that. That. My gosh, you guys, seriously, this is such a helpful conversation. I think you've now set up how to cast a vision, how to recruit, uh, the resources around, how to build this strategy. So insightful. I'm so glad that I got to spend some time with both of you wise, insightful, just vastly experienced uh, women who clearly have a heart for for the next generation. And I'm so honored that I get a chance to have a talk with you. I'm sure that people will want to follow up uh, later on uh, who are listening to the podcast. And we'll leave all the details in the show notes, how people can access some of the resources and also con- connect with you guys as well. So again, thank you so much, Ashley. You're an absolute champion. You know, I just love you to death. Katura, thank you. You like the stuff that you gave was so heartfelt and, and so inspiring. So thank you both for your time. You guys are awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Ashley. Now, wasn't that the most amazing conversation filled with practical tips and insights? As always, if this episode was helpful, we'd love if you would share it with the rest of your team and with other church leaders that you know. We'd also love if you could give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, or if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you give us a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel if you haven't done so already. Thanks so much for being part of the Think Orange podcast. My name is Dave Adamson. And remember, when you think next generation or church strategy, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com.